It's a full moon tonight, Clyde. Anything can happen. But there are no Virgo girlies left on the island, so it doesn't really matter. Welcome back to Survivor Analytics, the only show where we talk about Survivor. It's the only one on the internet. Hosted by us. Nobody can sue us for that anymore. Those guys stopped doing their podcast. I'm the voice of the people. My name's Jack. With me, as always, is the true expert. What's up, Clyde? What's up, party people? Um, Who says that quote in this episode about the full moon? Is that Jake? That's Jake? I thought it was Jake true. Jake observes that it's the full moon. No, that's Jake. Oh. Right before tribal. Okay, yeah. Jake gets a lot of screen time this episode for someone that has barely any agency in the game. It almost feels cruel at this point how much we are seeing of Jake because so much of it is him being entirely helpless. We get more content of Jake sulking on the beach than we do of D actually running the game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. How did you feel about this episode as a whole? It is the first episode of the merge without a uh, missing vote. Yeah, so I guess that was good. Um, <laughs> I have conflicting feelings on this episode. I'll say it is the most comical episode of the entire season. There's a lot of funny moments we get emily drinking wine and confessional we get the boys night we get uh production mistiming thanksgiving by an entire week yeah still including it in the episode we get bruce just continuing to be a terrible player so there's a lot of funny moments in this episode but i think when you look at it in the grand scheme of the entire season it's kind of disappointing because it just fall falls in line with the trend of this season which is Reba continues to dominate and these Bellow members can't do anything strategically. Like this is the type of episode where it's fun if you watched it live, but if you go back and just look at the voting history of the season, it won't really stand out on paper. I'll say this, the Bellow members, it's not that they can't do anything. It's that they won't do anything because we get a glimmer at the start of this episode of an Emily led Bruce, Katura, Jake, situation which i think is something i brought up last week where i said this is a possible route for her to flip and she's the one who can bring them together and that doesn't happen they just refuse to work together they refuse to recognize even though they comment on it regularly they refuse to acknowledge how strong the reba alliance is and honestly it goes all over me at this point i'm i'm frustrated by it it's Tough to watch because as a viewer, it seems so obvious that those four Reba players are working together. But the more I thought about it, the more I'm starting to empathize with Bello because from their perspective, they entered the merge of this season and Reba was willing to vote out some of their own. They voted out Jay Maya at the mergatory yep. and then they voted out Sifu at the split tribal council. Right. So I can understand from their point of view that they thought we had entered the individual stage of the game. I think one of Reba's biggest advantages so far this season was the fact that they entered the merge with these two expendable players that they could cut and make it appear like they're fractured, when in reality, they were a tight core with two people on the outside. Even with that, it, we're so many days on now, right, that it it's hard for me to... It makes me not want to give them that benefit of the doubt because we see so much... It feels like production has a folder on their desktop of clips of D smiling up at Austin. Okay. <laughs> and but but because there's so much footage of the two of them together and so little like conversation between them. 
we see so much of that alliance, right, of Drew and Austin, of D and Julie, of D and Austin. Um, not really Julie and well, we get some Julie and Drew this episode. Um, yeah, they cry on the beach together. Yeah, they cry on the beach together. Which boy, we'll get to that here in a second. But I don't know. It it's hard to see the Bellow members as doing anything besides misreading and betraying one another, especially Katura. Yeah, Katura is <laughs> the worst of the bunch. I think not in in terms of her overall quality as a player, but just her over willingness to flip. She's so desperate for a flip to work that she keeps trying. She's like a kid on a trampoline who keeps trying to flip and face planting and then saying, no, 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 I've got it. I've got it one more time. Like bounce me, bounce me. I've got this. <laughs> like she flips on Kendra immediately, right? The sun isn't even up and she's flipped on Kendra last week. Bruce tests out his lie. She flips on him, right? Tara's stock in the game has really dropped for me. Even though she's your winner pick? Thank you for reminding me of that, Clyde. <laughs> She's all you got left yes. now. We'll talk about Survivor Fantasy towards the uh, end of the episode. That's what I'm most excited for. I'm ready to hop in. I feel like we've done some surface level. I feel like to hop in, uh, I think we should hop in with an animal shot, Clyde. <sighs> because right at the top of the order here, we've got, there's a scene, a shot of some crabs waking up on the beach and they're sleepy little yeah, crabs. And they represent the and contestants also waking up on the beach. Is that it? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And so, and one of the contestants in particular is very crabby. <laughs> and that's Julie. Because Julie is really struggling with this emotional burden that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. She feels terrible for blindsiding Kelly and Kendra. I don't think production has ever shown Julie speaking to either of those women. I think I agree with you. I think <laughs> it's ridiculous. Their relationship is only as far as the woman sitting on the beach that one episode and saying, maybe we'll do a women's alliance. But I don't know if there was ever an individual segment with any of those pairs. I don't think there was. I, I can't think of one. Um, and so this whole emotional moment, she goes, she talks to Drew. They all, they both cry. It felt so unearned to me. What? <laughs> because, because they're, crying about voting out people we never saw them get close to i'm not saying they're fake tears or anything i'm saying that production didn't give us the the background that we needed to really appreciate that emotional moment because i don't i just didn't i didn't vibe with it yeah and i feel like that's kind of julie's arc this episode is her dealing with those feelings of betraying other other players and right. it raises a major concern for me with Julie. I think we've talked about this before on the pod where the mom archetype generally struggles on Survivor. There are multiple examples in Survivor history where the mom performs well in the post-merge, makes it to the final tribal council, and loses because people feel more connected to them on an emotional level. So they feel more betrayed when the mom votes them out. And I don't think Julie's doing a lot to really deviate from that archetype even in tribal council later on she actively apologizes to those people on the jury i think if i'm in julie's position i can't be apologizing to people there you need to be taking ownership for those moves and saying they were intentional and doing what you can to make that distinction between the emotions in the game and taking advantage of your role as the mama figure in strategic settings like if she can flip that and say look i got along with everybody but when it came to the game i took i 
took advantage where I had to take advantage. And we've talked about this before. There's no winning tribal for Julie that involves D and she seems determined to carry D to the end. And at this point we've seen her so torn up about betraying people she never worked with. She will never betray D. However, if she could, if she could muster the will to make that insane flip, that that would be a resume moment for her and a final oh, yeah. tribal. I don't think it'll happen. It's but... not going to happen, but yeah. We get a bit of Emily trying to bring the bellows together. Doesn't happen. And then we get to Bruce. Yeah. Talk about Bruce. Break this down because it's ridiculous, man. So Bruce has a plan and... It centers around his idol, which has been a major talking point for the past couple episodes. So Bruce's plan right now is to tell people that he gave Kelly his idol back at the final 10. And Kelly got voted out of the game with his idol in her pocket. So the idol has gone. Now, Bruce says this in order to magnify his threat level. People will vote for him at tribal council. Then he plays the idol and he gets to decide who goes home. This plan... Uh, straight up is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. On its own, it's not a terrible idea, but you need to set those dominoes in place after Kelly gets voted out at final 10. He doesn't mention this until two episodes later. I don't think people really bought it. The other part that is just absurd is Bruce comes up with this idea and he has to decide who am I going to let in on this plan? The worst person he could tell here is Katura who has actively been targeting him the entire game. <laughs> well, and not even that. It's not that he, he lets her in on it. It's he tests it on her. And when it fails, he goes, Haha, you were my focus group, and now you're in on it. Please don't tell everybody it's a lie. Like, it's so... It's it's a terrible read. And, and look, I was so pro-Bruce last week. Yeah, that lasted all all of what one week, right? I came into this episode cheering for him. We got to the the immunity challenge. I was cheering for him. I was genuinely bummed when he went out in that challenge. And but this mo this moment, the fact that he tests it on his two closest allies, quote unquote, because he really he he has Jake kind of. Yeah, he doesn't tell the truth to Jake. He tells Jake the lie hoping that Jake will leak it. It was just a rough move all around from Bruce. It's even worse when you consider the fact that this entire plan hinges on him later playing the idol, and then he doesn't do it when it comes time for tribal council. Yeah, it, it's a terrible read on his part, and but that's the groundwork we've set here. And then that's all I have before the first challenge. Yeah, let's go to reward. Uh, too many challenges in this episode for my liking, but we, we can speed it's through them. It's just two. Too many. To run through this one quick, reward challenge. Uh, the winner will go to Sanctuary, where good things happen, uh, for a Thanksgiving dinner, essentially, and bed. They get to spend the night in Sanctuary. The challenge itself is an obstacle course for some reason, and then a ball maze. I liked the maze part because it's one of those where it reminds me of the one in Samoa where Russell Swan goes out. Yeah, where he's blindfolded, right? Yeah, it's a ball maze where that one was a group of people blindfolded having to follow instructions. This is obviously less convoluted. It's 
individuals with pulleys that change the X and Y axes of the maze. I liked it. Um, I, there's a lot of holes in the bottom of the maze. And it comes down to Austin versus Emily. And Emily wins her first challenge. Pretty great moment. As a proud Emily fantasy team holder, it was great to watch her win that challenge, even though I got no points from it since it was a reward challenge and not an immunity. We don't give points for that. We should give points for that. Well, it's too late now. You can take that up with the committee <laughs> for next season. And next year. Next season. But she gets to choose three people, and she picks Julie, Katura, and D. It's a girl's trip out to Sanctuary where good good things happen. How'd you like these choices? Well, I guess I like one of the picks. I like her bringing Katura. But I don't think there were massive implications for these selections. I guess the one benefit there is maybe Emily is worried that Drew and Austin will scheme things up in the game. And she wants to leave them back at camp with the fewest strategic options possible. And yeah, I think you accomplish that when you leave them with Bruce and Jake, two players that arguably have the least amount of agency on the entire cast. I didn't care too much about the selections. I cared more about the feast itself. And we need to talk about this. Why is production running a Thanksgiving dinner a week after Thanksgiving and not last week. I think they timed it out wrong. Or the release calendar got shifted, right? I think it's got to be something like that where they said, look, we thought we were going to start a week earlier. The strikes moved something around. The pandemic moved something around. Some some part of CBS's production schedule got shifted because I, I refuse to believe that they intentionally did it a week after Thanksgiving. It could have been way worse. Imagine if the schedule got shifted like three weeks and we're mid-December and Jeff is saying, you're going to get turkey and mashed potatoes. Well, some people do stuff like that at Christmas. Oh, really? Sometimes. I think that's, uh, I don't know. Like some people do turkey at Christmas. I don't like turkey at all, so I'm anti-turkey. Uh, that's my hot take about Thanksgiving. Is oh, so like if Emily food. asked you on this reward, you would say no? I would say no because I... I this is a, okay. This is an awful thing to say, but I'm gonna say it. Um, if I was on Survivor and somebody said, "Hey, do you want to go on this reward and get your letters from home?" I don't know if I'd be like, "Yes, take me," because, like, I don't know if I would. I don't like watching the letters from home, and I don't know if I was on the island if I would want to read them. I don't know if it would motivate me or throw me off. That's fair. It can make you more and homesick, for sure. Especially because I, 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 well, do we want to talk about the boys' night or the sanctuary first? Uh, we'll we'll talk about the girls' night. Okay, so basically, we've got the feast. We get this great confessional from Emily, where she's drinking a glass of wine, which should be mandatory for Emily going forward. It is so on brand for Emily. I'm surprised yeah. that we haven't seen. Uh, confessionals from Emily previously in the season with her holding a glass of wine. It just spits. It feels so natural for her to be like on that little rock. She, I feel like she's always in the same spot for her confessionals too. And it just, it really tied the whole thing together. It was the combination of Emily holding the glass of wine and her discovering love and deciding oh, yeah. potentially to get married to her boyfriend. Like, I'm shocked that I'm so pro Emily because at the start of the season... <laughs> I couldn't stand her. Wait, okay, so that was a wild development in the letters from home that she gets a letter because while she's been gone 
her boyfriend has moved into their house together, like their dream house. So she's going to come back to a fresh house that like she didn't have a say in like decorating or whatever. Do you think it's decorated? In my mind, the boyfriend is hanging out on like a folding lawn chair in the family room. Listen, I think if you're with Emily for 10 years, you've got some taste, right? She seems classy. I think you've got a little bit of a standard. I think it's more likely that Emily planned the entire move before she left. Beforehand? There's a spreadsheet with a list of everything he has to do. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, But basically, she talks about how she's been content to just be a partner or a girlfriend for 10 years. And going on Survivor has given her the chance to reflect and be like oh maybe i do want to be a wife here's what i want to throw out here how funny would it be if they're at home watching the episode and she hasn't said any of that to her boyfriend she has to (laughs) that that would be really funny like hey surprise babe they included a shot of emily and her boyfriend did you ever watch a good mythical morning on youtube Uh, is that rhett and link wait which one's rhett which one's link i don't know but the taller one looks exactly like Emily's boyfriend. Is that the the bearded one? Yeah, yeah. Mountain man looking guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the girls love Emily too. They tell her that she constantly underestimates herself in that game. So I feel like as a whole, this episode was very pro-Emily. Yeah. I'm still not sold on Emily winning the whole thing. But I think if she makes it to the end with anyone other than D, she is a great shot. D or Austin could I mean, beat her still. I could see a scenario where she makes it to the end with like, Austin and Julie say, and she gets every girl's vote on the jury, right? Because we see it right here. All the girls are hyping her up. Uh, Bruce could go for her. Jake could go for her because she's been a very straight shooter with Jake. I don't know. I mean, I, I could see it happening against Austin. A couple other things here. Katura immediately shares Bruce's lie. Ridiculous. She's so desperate. Guys, watch. I can do a flip. I swear. Let One more try, please. Please watch. Please be my friend. Please, Reba. She rats out Bruce, hops in confessional, and says, I'm entering revenge mode now. It's time to target Bruce. Katura, you've been in revenge mode the entire season. This isn't something new that you're flipping on. You've been targeting this guy since day one. Katura's biggest arc, Katura's only arc on this show has been her vengeance against Bruce. And in the end of this episode, when Bruce goes home, she is thrilled but has absolutely no reason to be that excited because she has gained nothing from it. She's gained nothing, and she's not even responsible for the move. Emily's more responsible for the Bruce elimination than Katura. Yet I I guarantee you next week we're going to get a confessional from Katura where she says, I'm the reason Bruce went home. I, that would be a wild claim for her to make because it seems pretty clear to everybody that it is an Emily move. We got to talk about the letters specifically about Katura, because this really pissed me off. Katura, when she's opening her letters, finds a letter from her mom and share, and is very upset by this because it within the last year before production, she had gone no contact with her mom. She'd cut her mom off. She, she didn't want to have anything to do with her. And somehow, Survivor decides to still give her a letter from the woman she doesn't want to speak to. Incredibly tasteless move. And when we get to the next challenge here in a little bit, and she basically has a panic attack, I think it's a pretty clear line to draw between this emotionally traumatic moment 
and her not being able to handle it totally the the easiest parts of the challenge right just sliding into the water freaks her out and i i completely think it's because of this letter i i think it was a horrible move by production i don't know how much blame to put on production here i don't know if production is solely responsible for reaching out to family members to get these letters or if before they go on the show they ask the contestants like who they would like to receive letters from so i don't know if this was a situation where Katura signed off beforehand to get the letter or production did it behind her back if production did it behind her back then you're completely right and this is a pretty brutal move like it could be that uh when you when you're going on the show production says okay give us like a contact right and then they go to that contact and say hey collect letters right uh because production probably doesn't want to mess with figuring out who's who and who merits a letter they probably say hey you're the husband you're the parent you're the uh, best friend you collect five letters or whatever uh but if i'm katura i'm not happy with somebody because i think that totally threw her game off in the challenge and it, it was just an uncomfortable vibe that didn't have to be there yeah it was one of those moments that felt very personal and outside the game like, Katura herself did not want to go into details on why she no longer has contact with her mom. And she's totally in the right to do that. You don't need to share that information on national television. But it yeah. feels like production was almost setting her up to reveal that information by including that letter. Thank God she had wine, right? Like, imagine if she had to do that last week with the rotisserie chicken, right? She's got one hand on this traumatic letter and one hand, like, with a half a leg all greasy and rotisseried. But overall, I thought Girls' Night was a very nice environment, a very supportive group of gals uh, at the Survivor Sanctuary. It's a different world over at the beach with Boys' Night. Cue the electric guitar music. Get your farts and burps ready. We're going to flex in front of the camera. It's Boys' Night. Did you recognize the song here? No, what, what song was it? It was Kenny Loggins, who already the most broy of bro music, right? Okay. Like he wrote the music for the original Top Gun. Danger Zone is him. Oh, this was okay. Kenny Loggins playing with the boys, which is the most like bros being dudes, high five in jean shorts, like Tom Cruise playing volleyball kind of song. The boys' night is longer than the girls' night. No, like way. it gets is more it screen actually? time. <laughs> it absolutely gets more screen time. Uh, we get a full montage of the boys just kind of being idiots. We get them all talking about farts, like such as like so dumb. We get uh, a hilarious shot of Jake waddling across the beach in his flippers uh, to go out, <laughs> which is pretty great. Some brutal, uh, brutally uh, shot juxtapositions of really pretty thirsty shots of Austin and pretty cruel shots of Drew, like crouched over the fire, <laughs> like, like crouched over the fire or crouched in the water doing the dishes. Yes. That's what it was. It was the dishes. And then we get Austin, like tossing his beautiful long hair back and he's <laughs> shredded. And it, Austin is always in good lighting and Drew still looks pasty. I enjoy it when production takes some creative Liberty in the edit. Like, I take the game of Survivor seriously. I enjoy running the numbers of it all. But it's also fun just to include these random scenes. This felt like a music video. 
Oh yeah, it it felt like that for sure. And uh, you could argue that like yes, production is playing into a bunch of stereotypes here, but they're not taking it that seriously. And you can tell they're not taking it seriously when they do the shot of Drew flexing in front of the camera. Like if they genuinely <laughs> wanted to show off this like bro chacho uh persona of the contestants they would do a lot of bruce and austin shots when are the bro cha when is bro chacho from was that samoa bro chacho is from david versus goliath actually david versus goliath i see i knew it but i didn't know it that well because that's the only season i have seen besides what we've done here yeah it's your only outside the pod season (laughs) random Uh, detail i want to throw into i think you texted (laughs) about this Drew says that they can take part in locker room talk. And I was genuinely yeah. concerned he was about to say the most sexist shit on television. <laughs> yeah, like locker room talk does not have a good reputation and rightly so, Yeah, right? Locker room talk isn't like emotional, cathartic, heart to heart. Locker room talk is heinous. And it felt like Drew was dying to say something horrible for the first time in his life. We went from them joking about farts and burps, which is fun, to Drew asking for permission to do some locker room talk. It was night and day out of nowhere, and I didn't need it. Yeah, that was a weird vibe. Um, There's one tactical moment in here. There is? That I have written down. Uh, Jake leaks the Bruce Idol news to Drew, although Emily will later on tell Drew, nope, that's not true. Um. Jake does attempt to endear himself to Drew here. Doesn't work. After that segment, the group reunites. Emily and Jake have a conversation where Emily tells Jake that he's the backup vote. So Jake is kind of in self-preservation mode now, which is the mode he's been in the entire season. Yeah. And Emily does something kind of sneaky here. I don't know if you noticed this. Jake asks her, who was throwing my name out there? Like, who's trying to target me? Was it Drew? And Emily says, oh, it was basically everybody, but she doesn't defend doesn't Drew. No. Yeah. Yeah. Which sends off a signal in Jake's mind that Drew is gunning for him, when in reality, it's not only Drew. There's a ton of people with the same idea. Drew and Jake proceed to have a big argument on the beach, but none of this probably happens without Emily. She's the real instigator of that conflict. Yeah. I mean, I think Emily sets off the spark of the moment I highlighted during boys night, which is Jake brings this news to drew of the idol thing, thinking that will endear him, right? That's his move. That's him trying to flip. And, uh, so when he thinks that drew is the one flipping on him or going after him, there's too much flipping, Emily flipping all this flipping. Um, (laughs) their argument is wild because basically the argument is, Jake's mad that his name is being brought up, so he brings Drew's name up. And Drew, with his name being brought up for the first time in a relatively unserious way, right? Yeah. It's not like Jake has numbers. Drew takes it so personal and, like, is is really over-the-top kind of rude to Jake, I thought. Where Jake's like, look, man, I'm not trying to get into this. It's just the game, and, and this is where we're at. I was totally on Jake's side in this because Jake's my baby boy, and... Uh, I'm going to miss him when he's gone next week. But I'll, I think Jake has a spot waiting for him in the final tribal now. I think I said this last week. Jake is our zero vote finalist is my current prediction. How would you feel about the argument? The argument I didn't take a ton from. 
I guess the biggest takeaway for me was that this is the first major indication that Drew might not have the best social game. I think you've speculated for a long time that Drew is not a good social player, but we didn't have a lot of evidence of that in the edit. This seems like the first instance where Drew was burning a potential jury vote. Like if Jake is on the jury at the end, I doubt that he will vote for Drew. Yeah, and and I think what's interesting is this was a very unserious floating of Drew's name, right? Drew's name does not get written down. At some point, some cracks are going to have to show in Reba, right? There's four of them. That won't work. And Drew does not seem capable of taking any mention of himself in that context well. Jake, comparatively... Jake knows his name is getting written down and he just plays the game because he that's all you can do. And so it'll be interesting to see how Drew responds to more genuine or more more elevated threats down the line. It's also odd because this is not the first time that Drew's name has been thrown out there. His name gets written down at the uh, tribe swap in the pre-merge in the Brando elimination. uh, He has his name written down. So I kind of expected Drew to roll with the punches a little bit better than he did in this one part. I'm good to head to the immunity challenge if you are. Let's go to immunity. Uh, Bring in the boats, as Jeff loves to say. Uh, This is an on-the-water challenge. It is another endurance challenge, our third endurance challenge in as many weeks, I believe. Yeah, too many endurance challenges for my liking. It, It is. I actually agree. I like the endurance challenges a lot, but this was a time where I would have liked to see... T-ball, for example, or bowling, no. <laughs> or <laughs> or bowling, <laughs> or or basketball. Not basketball. We've had too much basketball. Or ninja stars, right? But it's another endurance. This one is on a slanted ramp over the water. They will have to contestants will have to work their way down progressively smaller handholds, keeping themselves on the ramp and out of the water. Uh, Emily drops first, and then we have an extended panic attack from Katura, where basically the thought of sliding into the water really freaks her out. Jeff tries to talk her down. She eventually manages to dismount the ramp back onto the platform, which takes some doing. Everybody's super kind to her about it, but again, I don't think that happens without the letters from home. And it comes down to Bruce versus Austin, and Austin wins. The first time that Bruce loses an individual immunity on the season. Were you devastated with the Bruce loss here? Yeah, I was. Because I thought challenges were going to get Bruce to final six. And then he was going to idle. Like, I liked Bruce's path to the end. He had the most narrow path possible to the end. Of basically win every challenge except one. Listen, if Bruce made it to the final tribal, there was a chance that I was in contention for something in fantasy so i wanted to root for him uh okay but congrats to austin though first immunity challenge win of the season solidifies the meat boy title i think we can call austin and bruce meat boys at this point let me ask you this about the challenge because a friend of the show alexis pointed out that this is a very upper body heavy challenge and that she felt that was unfair potentially to the women I don't know how I feel about this because it seems like feet could be a part of the equation here, right? You're, there's handholds, 
but you can also use your legs. It's just a question of traction. I don't know. It was, um, do you think this was mostly an upper body thing? I think it was mostly upper body, but I'm okay with that. Like, I don't think challenges are by nature supposed to be fair for everybody. If you're have a stronger upper body, you're going to be better in some challenges than other people. Like the uh, challenge where you were holding on to the pole, the final two people remaining there were both women. I think that's a challenge where it's actually better to be light a little bit uh, lighter. I'm okay with challenges that favor different attributes. Same thing with puzzles. Yeah. Are we going to say that, oh, this is unfair because some people are better at puzzles than others? Like, yeah, that's just the nature of competition, right? I, I, I think the, the thing that points it out or really highlights it is just that we see the four women go out immediately or very quickly. It goes all four women and then all four men. And especially after the girls night, boys night thing, uh, Alexis was, I think rightfully a little bit like, what? come on now guys. Well, you're also lifting your own weight and that's going to differ person to person, that's right? That's very fair. I'd say I'm okay with challenges themselves being yeah. unfair, like favoring different body types. As long as we have the challenge each episode being different. Like, I don't want four challenges in a row that all favor upper body strength. Yeah, you say whatever you want. I'm just going to support Alexis and and listen to women. But if you don't want to listen to them and put that on the record, (laughs) that's fine. Yeah. Call me Drew. (laughs) (laughs) This is your locker room talk. No, I, I think that's fair. I mean. Well, I would just say that, like, in general. I'm okay with sacrificing some of the equity and challenges just to have more variety. You want to talk about post-challenge, what Jeff tries to pull here? What does he try to pull? The whole Katur- getting Katur in the water thing? Yeah, I feel like Jeff is really forcing this moment where Katur just had this pretty traumatic experience where she has a panic panic attack during the challenge. Yeah, And Jeff is almost pushing her a little bit to say, if you want to jump in the water as like this inspirational moment, you're more than welcome to. You don't have to. But you can like I think Jeff is trying really hard to create this inspirational content for the show. Yeah. And sometimes it's okay if you struggle and you just need time afterwards. It seems like Jeff wanted an immediate problem and resolution within the same challenge. I think you said it really well. Hey, Katura, do you want to have this inspirational comeback or the boat can come to you? (laughs) Like, do you want to be Rudy or get on the boat? Like... It, it really wasn't framed as it's good either way because it's good either way, but everyone else is going to jump in the water and all the other contestants are like, Oh, I'm jumping in the Listen, water. Are you jumping in the water? When like, I was in like, it, like the summer after fourth grade, I busted my head open on a, a pineapple lamp. Oh, I didn't know this. And I had to get staples. That's something you and uh, Bruce could talk about. Yeah. Maybe this is why I like Bruce. I had to get staples in my head in the summer. And I went to summer camp, and I was already a pasty kid, right? I was wearing the sun shirt. I was wearing the sunscreen. I I had the long sleeve shirt. I was that kid, right? But at swim time at summer camp, I was the only kid at summer camp who couldn't get in the pool. And because I couldn't get my head wet because of the thing. And so what they did to make me feel better is they actually had a full, like, like, splash pad where it has the fountains and things that you can like and showers like at a park i don't know if you know what i'm talking about but okay while every single other person was in the pool they were like here you go jack you can go do this (laughs) (laughs) and i just remember i was wearing like a uh sun hat and my sun shirt because i was a pasty little fucker oh i should probably not swear that much but that's okay (laughs) um 
And so, you know what? I kind of related to Katura in this moment. Let's go to post-challenge discussions. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's solidified right now that Bruce is the primary target. The real question is second. Post-challenge is who is the backup? Who's on second? A little Abbott and Costello here. Which is weird. I feel like the conversation shifts such that, like, we know Bruce is getting the majority of the votes. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like Bruce is actually going home. It feels like whoever gets the second most votes is the real target of the tribal council. Right. Like, the votes against Bruce are just a formality. And and so it becomes a question between Jake and potentially Julie. Katura pushes Julie. Can we talk about that decision from Katura? Yeah. So all season, Katura wants to vote out the most disliked social player on the beach. The contestant that I think just about anybody could beat in a final tribal council. Yeah. And then she has this wake-up moment where she says, wait a second, I should vote out the Reba majority. They're running the game, which is a good read. Right. We have four Reba members. Which one are we going to target? Austin, we can't because he has individual immunity. There's Dee, the vocal leader of the majority, the person that multiple players are saying is a massive threat to win the game. Yeah. Should we vote out her? No. <laughs> How about Drew, the head strategist of the group, the one that led the Kelly elimination? The whole reason... Why Reba has the numbers advantage in the first place? Should we vote out Drew? No. No. Let's go for Mama J. Because Mama J's cool. People like Mama J. Like, in my mind, Mama J is the bottom of that totem pole. It, she absolutely is. And the way Couture justifies it to Emily is, do you ever want to vote like, against someone named Mama? Like, <laughs> like that goes into what I said earlier. She has this motherly reputation, yeah. and I don't think it's going to help her. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a wild little take there from Katura. It really doesn't feel like it has much going for it. We get this moment from Bruce with Jake where Emily has told Jake, Bruce has his idol. That's bullshit, right? Uh, and, and we get this moment where Bruce is essentially trying to strategize with Jake. Like, Hey, we've got to work together to force, like, if we can get numbers, we could get Julie, right? You, me, yeah. maybe Emily, nope, maybe Katura, maybe, and that's four of the eight, right? It could work out. Um, I really appreciate that Bruce does the hand counting because I have to do that pretty often. He's like, okay, we got two over here. This is me. This is you. I really appreciated that. You and Bruce have a lot in common, I'll say. The splitting of the head, the hand counting. You know what? Maybe Bruce is my favorite now. Um. You guys both love challenges. like Yeah, but Jake, not happy because Bruce lied to him, right? Jake is in a horrible position, as he has been for a long time, largely out of his control, right? Like, I think it's because of that Caleb vote. I mean, there's it's the Caleb thing, but it's also the tribe split, right? The split vote. And then the fact that the other Bellow members could never work together. Jake tried. Like, he, he's given it a lot, and yet it comes down to, for him, most people are going Jake. He knows Emily has the decency to say, hey, people are putting your name down. You're the backup. And so he's like, I have to work with this guy who's lying to me that everybody's targeting. Like, that's a horrible spot to be in. Jake's Jake's goal in this moment is to convince Bruce not to play his idol. That's his best option, and that's not something he can even do. Emily's really the person that can do that. Emily pulls Bruce aside and breaks down the numbers and tries to convince him. And so and does. Yeah. 
So we could talk about this move from Emily's perspective yes, a little bit, where she says in confessional, in confessional multiple times this episode that her primary goal at tribal council is to, to see Bruce into feeling safe. He doesn't play the idol. He goes home, right? Right. Now, it's a flashy move. I think you could argue it's the flashiest move of the entire season so far, other than Caleb shot in the dark, but I was down on the shot in the dark to begin with because that's pure chance. So it's flashy, right? Yeah. It's something that will be a nice stamp on her resume if she can pull it off. Yeah. But is it a good long-term strategic move? Is it good for Emily right now to get rid of Bruce? That's a great question that I had not really thought about. Um, I think so. Because it's a popular decision. Nobody likes Bruce. Everybody's in on it, more or less, right? And so while Emily is the one who really deceives Bruce... She's got Katura saying, oh, this is my idea. I don't think it's clear to the other players who deceived Bruce into not playing the idol, oh, which is good for Emily. That is good for her. That's that's a great point. I don't know. Do you think that it's a bad look from a future vote perspective? Like, do you think that Bruce was a potential ally? Or what do you think? My concern with Emily is just where she's positioning herself now at the final seven. She's giving Reba the numbers advantage. They have the numbers four to three, and maybe her hope now is that Reba will split up and all be one of the votes that she's, that they're trying to pull. Right. We're at a point where they're running out of time for Austin to even possibly fail to get D a massive threat, right? Julie's a non-entity. Drew's a decent threat. Like, there's three huge threats in Reba and then Julie. Um, and those three threats don't want to go to the end and split the vote, right? So they'll probably look to the other contestants. I don't know. I'm just worried about Emily's positioning after this, and she'll be proven right or wrong depending on how the future votes go. Do you want to go to Tribal then? Let's head to Tribal. Jake gets a lot of screen time here. Yep. He talks about how he feels like he's on the bottom. And it's weird because sometimes you have a contestant like Emily where they're portrayed as the underdog. Somebody who starts off rough but gains agency over the course of the season. Jake is kind of the opposite, where he's the underdog that keeps getting kicked while he's down. <laughs> I mean, you're right. He's like the uh, it, he's like a tragic figure in a Russian short story, who just is like he go he starts out and he's he, he's some sort of duke, and then the revolution happens and he's put in a camp, and then. He becomes like the the servant to the like he keeps working his way down the social ladder and he's just being treated horribly the whole way. I I don't think you seem to be a big Russian literature fan, but I know I probably give off the vibe that you know I frequently read Russian literature, but that's not my area of expertise. Uh, I will say though that when I made a TikTok series about Survivor finalist archetypes, one of them is the clueless strategist, and that's Jake to a T. It's the person that's constantly left out of the vote. And then at a certain point, people realize that no one really respects them from a strategic point of view, and then they get dragged to the end. Like, if I'm on the island right now, I would be putting Jake on my back <laughs> and saying, oh, you're much lighter. Congrats on losing all that weight uh, in the past two years. But let's go to the end together. Oh, my like, God, dude. Like, hey, man, you're in great shape, dude. Why am I carrying you? <laughs> Congratulations. Please let me defeat you at the end. Oh, man. Do you, do you think that Jake has a winning end? No, I don't think he has a winning in a final three. 
Or if for some reason they switch it to a final two, I don't think he's winning. Looking at I think the jury that... right now, we're looking at three Bellow members and Caleb, who he tried to protect. He could get the Caleb vote if Caleb feels loyal to him. No way he gets the Kelly vote, mocks her on the way out. No way he gets the Kedra vote, mocks her on the way out. Good, good point, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think he really had a working relationship with Bruce. So he'd have to rely on Bruce being old school and going Bellow strong kind of thing. But, Which isn't out of the picture yeah. for Bruce, I'll say that. Yeah. A <laughs> um, couple other things from Tribal, though. Julie feels still so guilty. She apologizes. Like we mentioned, she's crying at Tribal. It's the only time I think I've ever seen her make eye contact with Kendra. Um, <laughs> she's crying at Kendra, and Kendra's looking at her confused, like, what's your name? Yeah, who are you again? Uh, Mama who? Drew calls the previous vote steamrolls. And the jury does not like it. Understandably, bad move. This is the first episode that plays up Drew's poor social game. It's the first time we've seen Drew in a long time talk about the game from a non-clippy perspective, right? He's not explaining what's going on to the people who just sat down with their popcorn 20 minutes in, right? He's not summarizing it at Tribal. He's trying to make his own point, and it doesn't go well for him. I think Drew's an interesting character in that he fulfills a similar archetype that we've seen on this podcast. We saw Carson in the nerdy archetype yep. last season, but Carson was perceived as this extremely lovable figure, and Drew's kind of the opposite. We, we have other parallels there, too. We saw Danny was a contestant that many players were not a fan of on the island, yet it seems like most people like Austin. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting that you can have contestants in the same archetype, yet with wildly different perceptions of them. You know, I, and I want to throw something out here, uh, and maybe this is a discussion for at the end of the season, but one of the themes of 44 was preparation for the island. Carson, 3D printing, Matthew with his, he built the balance thing, right? It highlighted frequently how people got ready for a survivor. Something to keep in mind here is what's the theme of the season? And I think it's something for us to come back to later. But speaking of the nerdy archetype, right? Where Carson's nerdiness showed in his work is prep. Drew's seems to show in his uh, social ineptitude. He's like a stereotypical nerd uh, who can't talk to people. But couple of other things here. Jeff kind of leads Julie towards anticipating votes, right? He asks her, will she be surprised if her name is written down because she's Mama J? And it felt like he was trying to help Katura's vote along almost. Like, he felt like he was leading the, the tribe a little bit. Well, maybe Jeff wants the Rebas to flip on each other, too. I think he does. He knows that it's not as entertaining when they're just steamrolling everybody. It, 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 I think it it kind of felt to me like he was trying to influence the game just a little bit there, but it doesn't work, obviously. Go to the vote. Yeah, so your vote is a 4-3-1. Four, four on Bruce, three on Jake, one on Julie. And before the vote's read aloud, we get a moment where Jeff says, if you have an idol, you can play it. Did you think Bruce was going to play it there? Here's, here's what I want to throw out. I should have gone back and looked. When in this moment... Does Emily pat him on the shoulder? 
because there's a moment during the vote or right after for the idol where she pats him on the shoulder reassuringly. Smart, dude. And I think in that moment, I was like, he's not idling. He should, and he's not going to. So you you knew it was going to happen? I, I knew he wasn't going to. See, you know your fantasy team better than I do. I expected him to play the idol he 100%. Should have. I just thought it's the obvious move. It is the obvious move. And I think Emily, the pat on the shoulder, convinced him. That put him over the edge. That made him overconfident. And it was foolish. It was just a bad read on his part. I can give Bruce some criticism for this move. Uh, this is in the argument for the worst strategic decision in the new era of Survivor Whoa. in the past five seasons. I need to go back and look, but there are bad reads, like players taking each other to the end, who they shouldn't take to the end. But this stands out as one where it is so blatantly obvious that Bruce is the target of the vote. Like multiple contestants straight up say in tribal council that they're voting against Bruce and he just completely overthinks it. Yeah. It's a move that's detrimental to his game, obviously, because he goes home. But it has a drastic effect, in my opinion, of him as a player. My, my perception of Bruce was not too high going into this episode. But it's probably even a little bit lower now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think for me, last week we got the Bruce existential crisis as he discovered what toxic masculinity was. Right? And he, he learned that he had been oblivious to this major part of how people perceived him for years, right? This was such an oblivious move. The fact that he has been doing all of his strategy, he knows everybody is doing their strategy based on him playing the idol. The fact that he doesn't play it to try to exploit that the next week, right? And to guarantee that he is safe at to seven. Bad read. It's ridiculous. Bruce might have the one of the most brutal multi-season arcs in Survivor history where season yeah. one gets medically evacuated 12 hours into the game. Season two goes out kind of in an embarrassing fashion where he doesn't play his idol. Like this will be one of those segments that I think future like YouTube highlight reels play of Bruce just neglecting to play it there. So this leads well into my epitaph for Bruce. Let's go which to is, it. Let's do it. R.I.P. Bruce. Maybe his first run on Survivor was his best. <laughs> Man. Are you are you happy that Bruce came back? Was this a good decision by production to bring him back for 45? I think so. I think he brought a lot to it. Uh, I mean, he, he had a solid run. He had a couple immunity wins. He had that great little tearful moment where he went back to his old camp that he'd spent two lucid moments at. I liked Bruce coming back. I think um, I think there's a non-zero chance we see Bruce again. No, in Survivor 46, run for the no, 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 no. That would be insane. But I think there's a chance Bruce comes back someday. I hope he comes back for 46. That way we have the new era of Survivor, which goes from 41 to 43. And then we can get the Bruce era of Survivor that goes from 44 to 46. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I liked it. I think he he brought a lot to this season. And I think for the most part, despite his best efforts, his previous experience on the show was not the thing that put him in trouble. He tried. He tried to yeah. talk it up so much. But what put him in trouble was entirely his own personality. 
I think you can make the argument that Bruce is the primary reason why Bello falls apart and Reba gets the numbers advantage. Like the final 10 vote is the one that marks the point in the game where Reba takes over. And that happens when the Bellows are convinced that Bruce is the target because they're just so excited to get rid of him. I'm out of fantasy. So yes, we can talk about this now. This <laughs> was a highlight for me. Oh, Last season, on. Jack got first place in our fantasy league, and now he's probably ending up in last place, depending on how the other contestants perform. So we can yeah. take a look back at your uh, fantasy players this season, just to see what the holistic picture is for you. First round pick, Sabaya, 16th yep. place. Second round pick, Sean, Quitter, 15th place. <laughs> Sean, oh. I forgot about Sean completely. And a former winner pick, Sean, if you remember. Man. And then third round pick, Bruce, eighth place. I don't deserve to be on this show. I can't believe I had Sean as a winner pick. That's that's my worst take. <laughs> that's a pretty rough one. Like, that's historically bad. Well, I made a whole video on TikTok on how I thought Emily was going home yeah. episode one. And now she's potentially going to the final tribal council. So Yeah, but to be fair, we all thought it. And if not for extenuating circumstances, she would have. I also sent a message in our fantasy chat where I don't think any of us are doing a great job in fantasy because going into the final eight, all six third round picks were still in the game. Like all the people that we did not want in the draft uh, were still around at this point. So hopefully we can improve for next season. Um, Before we go to winners and losers, we hinted at this earlier and I just want to talk about it for a little bit. What do you think is the outlook moving forward? Do you see Reba turning on each other next week? It's time. It's time. Drew has to realize it's time. He knows what everybody's got. Forcing the idol, right? Exploiting the showmance. Something's got to give in Reba now, or it's going to be a split vote at the end. And whether it's Drew leading it, Dee leading it, Julie leading it, Emily leading it, something has to happen here. And if it doesn't happen next week, it's, I don't know if it will happen at all. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen next week. I think there's a chance they'll vote out someone on the bottom. And if I were in that Reba core, I would actually look to vote out Emily next. Yeah. Because... If you're anyone in that core Reba, your ideal final tribal council situation is you, Katura, Jake. Any one of those four, in my opinion, wins in the end. So I think if you cut Emily at final seven, you kind of pigeonhole Katura and Jake. There's no chance of the game really flipping. And then you just take your partner. So the two, uh, you two could do two. Julie and D partner up with Jake and uh, Katura. So... I would love to see Reba fall apart next week because honestly, I, I think the season's getting a little bit stale <laughs> watching this group just power through the entire game. But I just don't know if I see it happening. Like, I don't know how you're on this right now, but I think 44 has been better than 45. Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I the cast was, I think, a little bit better. Carolyn notwithstanding. And the... <laughs> Um, that was an unnecessary shot, and you I, know it. <laughs> yeah, it was unnecessary, but ah, she goes all over me, man. Um, but the votes were better. I mean, we had the great Lulu, not Lulu. What was their tribe? Which tribe? Carolyn, Carson, and Jam Jam. You don't remember the Tika 3? Tika. The, 
Man, we do a lot of Survivor, dude. Dude, I hope uh, you're ready for our year in review podcast. I've gotten some uh, some trivia questions queued up for you, so I hope you know your contestants and your tribes well for that one. You know I don't. <laughs> you know I don't. Uh, but the the votes were better. the The storyline of that season, like obviously this isn't exactly how it works, but if you looked at the box score, however that would look for forty four compared to forty five, it tells a more exciting story than what we've seen so far. And so next week is the chance that 45 has to get exciting. And we'll see what happens. Because even 45's exciting votes are in line with the dominant group's plan. Right. Like, this was an exciting vote watching Bruce kind of play himself and go home. I don't think it has major long-term implications for the strategy of the show. This one, or, I mean, the Kelly one was a shock. The Kelly, I think, actually had an impact. Yeah, or the Caleb blind or the Caleb shot in the dark. That was exciting, but it wasn't tactically surprising. You ready to head to winners and losers? Let's do it. Who is your winner? Winner, Emily. She's the primary yep. person that Same. orchestrates the Bruce elimination. Um and now if she reaches the final tribal, she'll have a move that she can take a lot of credit for. And yep. hopefully Bruce will go to the jury and say that. I did not play my immunity idol because Emily made me feel comfortable. If Bruce goes to the jury and tells a different story, then Emily could potentially lose credit for this move entirely. None of those people are too inclined to listen to Bruce, even if it is his decision, right? I don't know. We'll see. I want to start a petition for the Bruce jury vote to be worth two jury votes because I think he's the most difficult person to persuade. I like this idea. I think that's a good call. Uh, Emily was also my winner. Okay, she she played great. Uh, this the hand on the shoulder that that little pat, I think, was the decisive moment. I really do. I think every other bit of groundwork was solid, and that was the just the icing on the cake that put it over the edge. My loser, Jake. I feel like hey, this. Hey, also have Jake. Okay, this Look was painful because Jake was my preseason winner pick. Um, I think I've said this for a couple weeks now that I don't genuinely think that he's going to win, but I got to roll with the pick since I made it. I understand how you feel. I feel, I feel like this is your constant dilemma where you make a winner pick. You realize that it's not going to happen, but you you got to stick with the take integrity. Uh, this is the episode that solidified Jake's positioning on the bottom. If there was an opportunity for him to turn his game around, this was it and it didn't happen. Uh, there are instances in Survivor history where you have a player that's on the bottom, but they gain agency and then go on to win. But doing that at the final seven or the final six feels really late to me. So I just don't think Jake has a great shot at winning at this point, um, which is a shame. I really like him. I think he's entered a uh, GOAT category now, though. I completely agree. It's just pitiful. It's both for him and Katura, right? In similar but different ways, we have seen a season of maybe attempting moves, Jake having seizures, Jake being like helpless, Katura ranting about how she hates Bruce and not doing anything successfully about it, dealing with this whole issue this episode, and then continuing to betray the people that might work with her. Um, both of them feel really clearly on the bottom. They feel on the bottom, but it feels like different reasons to me. Yes, yes, definitely. I feel like Katura actively placed herself there by hyper focusing on Bruce, whereas Jake made one mistake and has just been unable to pick himself up from that 
Yeah, absolutely. Jake is by far in a worse spot. But uh, but going along with that, Katura is my dishonorable mention. Um, okay. Yeah. Because she's in this similar category as Jake, where I don't think she beats anyone remaining in the game, and she's just on the bottom. I think players at this stage will be looking to take her to the end. Uh, fair enough. My honorable mention goes to who do you think? Is it a contestant or is it some BS? <laughs> it's a contestant. It's a contestant. Um, Drew. No, my honorable Aww. mention goes to Bruce. Listen, I thought you were going to say boys night for a second. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I've got to give a little bit of credit to Bruce here because, look, he he did a lot wrong. No denying that. He was kind of a jerk. He discovered what toxic masculinity was. He made his initial strategy of going under the radar because I didn't really play Survivor went out the window as soon as he started playing the game he immediately plays up hey i've been on this island before listen to me blah 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 right he did come back from a pretty serious injury that sent him all the way home to east warwick rhode island or west warwick rhode island it's west warwick well he grew up in east warwick and he made it all six miles dude yeah Um, dude he's on your fantasy team you gotta do your research he went all the way home to rhode island and he came back and he made it to final eight he won two individual challenges in a row. His first 16, 15 nights on the island, or 15 of his first 16 nights on the island, something like that, he was completely safe. He made a lot of mistakes, but he still walked away with a pretty solid resume considering where he started on Survivor, which is to say, bleeding in the sand. I think that's a very optimistic look. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> he just deserves some credit for, for persevering. Okay, I'll give him credit for persevering. I will say that I think Bruce will be in my bottom three players in my power rankings, excluding the quitters. I, that's so fair. If you exclude uh, Hannah and Sean, who will definitely be 18 and 17, Bruce will be in that next category. I think he's ahead of Brandon. I, I would count Brandon as a quit, personally. No, Brandon didn't quit. He's just technically horrible at challenges. So yeah. I think Bruce is ahead of Brandon, but once you get to that category of Jay, Maya, and Sifu... I think you can make the argument that Bruce is worse than them. He won two individual challenges. He's absolutely above them. That doesn't move the needle for me. Bruce was in a situation where he needed challenges. If Bello goes to Tribal Council in the pre-merge, he gets voted out. If he loses one of those challenges, he gets voted out. Like, just winning challenges by itself, to me, is not a viable strategy. I know, I know. You hate gameplay, dude. Well, that's everything I got. Anything that you want to hit on or... I'm excited for next week. We're supposed to get some showman's stuff. Final seven, not too far to the end. And a guest on the pod. Hopefully, we should have a guest here next week. We'll see. Uh, fingers crossed for that. So look forward to that next week. Uh, and hey, maybe next week their calendar is so screwy that we'll get Halloween on Survivor. Oh, yeah. Jeff will be like, we have candy. <laughs> Trick or treat. It's the second auction. It's for candy and costumes. <laughs> but all right, we'll see you next week. Okay, see you.